morning, everybody. Obviously, Matt is not here, so I am stepping in for him. But if you have your Bibles available, please turn to the book of Judges. We're going to start in chapter 13. Chapter 13 of Judges. I don't know if you guys caught in the beginning of that preview, but there was a quote that he says, and he says, There's greatness in you, but not an ounce of humility. There's greatness in you, but not an ounce of humility. And that's being directed at Captain Kirk in Star Trek Into Darkness. See, with Captain Kirk, I'm not going to give away, like Matt said, I'm not going to give away anything that is in the movies. But from just that line and just from the preview that we saw, obviously Captain Kirk is faced with his pride. He is confronted about his pride issue. That he has this gift and this calling to be a leader, but... He doesn't have any humility in that. And because of that, he is compromising and jeopardizing the safety and the well-being of himself and his crew members. Today we're going to be looking at the life of Samson. And Samson has some similarities like that of Captain Kirk. He is gifted and he is called to be a leader. And we're going to see in the story that some of the decisions that he makes are also going to jeopardize those around him. They're not just going to affect him. And then on the other side of it, he has a way with the ladies. For those of you guys who remember Captain Kirk from the old Star Trek, even up to this one, he just kind of has this uncanny ability to uh, schmooze with the women. And we're going to see that like in the same way. <clears throat> but why have these stories in the Bible of these men like Samson where we see their flaws all over the place. We, we see their, their downfalls like King David. Well, these stories are told to us like uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, it says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. These stories are kept for us so that we can learn from them. If It's been said before, if someone is going to write a book to change the world, why not write it about all the good things of somebody, but never their flaws. And in the Bible's case, we see tons of flaws all over the place. Pride comes before the fall. Proverbs 16.11, in the message it says, First pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. Proverbs 12.15 also says, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So my prayer for us this morning is that we would read these words and that growing up, in, if, you were any, if you were at Sunday school at all, if you spent any time in church, you know the story of Samson. And even if you didn't go to church, you knew the story of Samson. You just had the image of this guy with super long hair, and when it got cut off, you know that story. So I hope that your minds don't turn off as you're listening to this story of Samson and be like, yes, I know all the things that are coming. But instead, if you are familiar with this story of Samson, be in prayer that the Holy Spirit would do his work and he would continue to speak through the story. But guys, I want to pray this morning as we start, as we open up the scripture, that we wouldn't be fools, that we wouldn't hear this advice and we would just let it pass on, but instead we would take from this story all that God wants to say to us. So let's pray. God most high, God in heaven, holy, great, and powerful is your name. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to communicate with you, and this morning, I ask for your Holy Spirit to come and to be at Paragon. God, if you're not with us, if you're not present here, then what is the purpose of all of this? So please let your Holy Spirit come and to move in this place. I ask that you would allow our hearts to be able to take out what your word has to say to us, that we wouldn't just hear words, we wouldn't just read words on a Bible, but instead we would truly grasp all that you have to say to us through your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Judges chapter 13. Hopefully you guys are there. It says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. See, up until this point, Israel had just come out of the promised land, or they just came into the promised land. They were led out by Moses, you know. Then Joshua took over. Joshua took them across the River Jordan. They came into the land. They had the great conquest. They divided up all the land to all the tribes of Israel. 
And now they just got comfortable. They had all these amazing blessings, and, and it was cool when they had to go and fight against all these different people that they were trying to take over this conquest of the land. And in that, once they were fighting and they had to pray for God to deliver them from all this stuff, after all the battles are done, they just got comfortable. They just settled. And we see that God said, okay, enough of that. I'm going to give you into the hand of the Philistines. So that's what's going on again. And it's sad. As you read through the Old Testament and as you get into this part, you just see it over and over and over and over again that the people did evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 2. And there was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Here is where we begin to see his calling. This is the start of Samson's calling. You notice there that he says that he will be a Nazarite. So he told, the angel of the Lord told his mom, don't eat anything from the vine. Well, why is that? You don't have to look there. But number six, if you want to go through and, and find out what the vow of the Nazarite was, it gives you a whole list of it. But just the three main points of it are, first one being, there's no fruit of the vine. No fruit of the vine. No seed from the grapes, no fruit of the grapes, no juice of the grapes, none of that, not even the skin. Why was that? Well, because the grapes in that time symbolized pleasure, pleasure in life, just to be able to enjoy the pleasurable things. The other thing was no razor was to touch his head or he wasn't to cut his hair. The root word of Nazarite, Nazir, is the meaning of unpruned vine. So they would let their hair get shaggy, they wouldn't shave their beard, and they would just have this look of unkemptness, basically because like in today's society, we judge people by their appearance. We look at them first and then we see what they're wearing, how their hairstyle is, if it looks funny or their clothes don't look all that modern, we're, we're quick to judge what lifestyle they're walking in. So they weren't, they were to be above that and not go about with what the world uh, seems good. And then the next thing is, the third thing is no dead bodies. They were not to touch dead bodies. So if their mother, father died, they were not to, they couldn't make themselves unclean by going and handling all the things that needed to take, <clears throat> or to happen with the funeral. So then the woman goes back, tells her husband, hey, this angel of the Lord came to me, said we're going to have a son. He prays. The angel comes back, confirms what he just told Manoah's wife. They sacrifice. And then we go on to verse 24 of 13, and it says, And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him in Machanedan between Zorah and Eshtol. And so there is just a glimpse of where his true power comes from as the Spirit of the Lord began to move in his life. Verse 14, or chapter 14. So Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, if you mark in your Bible, go ahead and mark that word saw, because you're going to see something that has to do with his eyes again and again and again. That's just a common theme throughout his whole life. Is he saw this woman, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And again, you notice the Philistines are the people that God had just said, I'm going to use you to deliver Israel out of them. And now he's saying, well, the women are nice, so you didn't, you didn't say anything about the women. So he saw one of the daughters. Verse 2, then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters. Again, there it is. I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all your people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. Here it is. For she is right in my eyes. Remember in Proverbs twelve fifteen that we saw earlier, it said the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. So there he said, Look, this woman is good. She's good. Please get her for me, Dad. So his father and mother, and it says that his father and mother did not know that this was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines at that time when the Philistines ruled over Israel. 
So verse 5. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Because, I mean, tearing a lion is outrageous, but tearing a goat, that's completely plausible. I mean, I read that and I was like, what, what in the world does that mean? But he obviously, tearing the goat apart is much easier than tearing the lion apart. So he tore the lion uh, <clears throat> apart. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and he talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. Again, we see that she was right in his eyes. But notice, too, in verse 7, that this was the first mention that they had talked. Kind of reminds me of mid-school, when you would see the girl and you would just kind of wave. And, but you would never talk, and it was always like a hi. And it was like, oh, she said hi to me. But you never knew if there was anything in common. You were just happy that somebody had accepted your awkwardness that you came out of. And so in the same way, in our own lives, we see things, and we don't know if they're good. We don't test them out. We don't talk to the individual. And for those you know, of us, I say us because I'm not married yet, but make sure that we're spending enough time to get to know this person. Time is like the main thing that you've got to do. You have to be able to talk to this individual to see but again, it says here that she talk, he talked to her, and it didn't say that she pleased his mind and she stimulated his brain. It just says, hey, she still looks good. So, after some days, verse 8, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Again there, notice that. He said, I, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. And he scraped it out into his hands and went on, eating as he went. Then he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. There are some scholars, as you remember, in his Nazarite vow, he's not supposed to touch dead bodies. And some scholars will argue that that just means human bodies. Whether they're right or not, something inside him says, don't touch that animal. But he still went, and he's like, well... And you ladies don't understand why he did this, but little boys and guys know, like, I killed something, and it's been dead for probably like two weeks. Dude, let's go check it out. Let's go see if it's rotting, if it smells weird, if it's funny. Girls won't get that. Guys are like, yeah, that's what we do. We just go see things like that. But he goes there because he wants to see it. So I know I'm not supposed to touch dead bodies, but I just want to see what it looks like. So I'm going to go there and check it out. And he sees the carcass, and there's honey in there. So he takes out the honey, and he begins to eat it. And then he's, he didn't tell his father or his mother. And I think that's the thing there is that your compromise begins to start when you know that something is wrong, but you are still beginning to push the limits. Whether the scholars are right that it's a human body doesn't matter because for him, he obviously knew or felt something was wrong because he didn't say anything. And that's kind of like the beginning, uh, beginning of our problems is we do something and we feel like, I don't know if that was completely right in the Lord. And then we begin to go on and like, well, I'm not going to tell that. I'm not going to tell that. I'm not going to tell that. And then we begin this process of sliding. We begin this process of going in the opposite direction of what God wants. So then he goes down. They have this big festival. And <clears throat> he, guys being guys, Matt has said it many times. You've heard him that when you get guys, multiple guys together, our IQ levels begin to drop. You get two guys together, our IQ levels get cut in half. More guys, it gets lowered and lowered and lowered and lowered. And it says here that they brought him, I won't go into it, but if you read it, it says that they brought him companions to be with him. So they just brought him a bunch of guys, and they get a bunch of guys together before his wedding. And he's like, well, I got this riddle that I'll tell you. And so he tells him this riddle, and he goes, if you guys can guess what this riddle means, I'll give you 30 exchanges of clothes. If you can't, by the end of this feast, you give me 30 clothes, okay, let's do it. So he goes on and tells him, and that starts... <clears throat> That starts in uh, verse 14. It says, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Obviously, knowing the background of the story, we know that he's talking about the lion. And in three days, it says, they could not solve the riddle. On the 14th day, they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told my father nor my mother, and shall I tell you? 
it's already, again, looking like a great relationship. You know, I told my mom, I told my dad, I'm going to tell you. So he doesn't tell her. But 17, she wept before him in the seven days that their feast lasted. And on the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him hard. Then he, uh, she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to, <clears throat> said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Verse nine, if you look at verse 19, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Notice, the Spirit of the Lord did not rush upon him when he said that. It's the Holy Spirit just backing himself up and being like, Hey, I didn't inspire him to say, If you had not plowed with my heifer. But he's referring to the woman that he's going to marry. So the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had been told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. That sounds like a lot of goodness going on there. I mean, if you didn't have a TV, just read the Bible. If you guys are really into you know, uh, soap operas, because there's all kinds of goodness in there. But it's given to his best man. So then Samson finally decides, you know what, I think I acted harshly. I want my woman back. So he tries to go back. The dad is like, hey, look, I already gave her to your best man. I thought you really hated her. And he's like, so he gets real upset, gathers a bunch of foxes, ties their tails together, lights them on fire, and then sends them off into the fields and burns up all of the Philistines' fields. And they become very upset. We'll see that in verse 6. We'll pick up in verse 6 of uh, chapter 15. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? He just burned the fields. And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her, uh, and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. And he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Edom. So he gets upset, just kills a bunch of dudes, goes off and does his thing. So we saw that he had a calling first. And then he begins to compromise because he's looking at things, and he probably shouldn't be doing that, but he's starting to push the compromise a little bit. Now we're going to see, as we start to read in chapter 16, that his compromise is leading to his concession. He's conceding defeat. Because at first, if you notice, that he was looking at Timnah. He saw a woman at Timnah. And now, if we look at this first verse of 16, he is in Gaza. Now he's staying there. It's a Philistine occupation. So there he is in Gaza. So starting in chapter 16, verse 1. Samson went to Gaza. And there he saw a prostitute. And he went into her. Again, we're seeing another lady. We're seeing the woman problem start. Go down to verse 4. So he did this, and he gets upset, leaves. Guys try to catch him. That's the story. of He picks up the guys on the gates, carries them out. But in verse 4, after this, so after, another, after the prostitute, it's not the same woman. He loved a woman in the valley of Sorek. So we're seeing the woman problem. We're seeing the visual. He's seeing women. He's, that's his weakness. And God is really hammering that weakness. Or I'm sorry, Satan is really hammering that weakness. He's not, it doesn't say anything here. As you're reading this story, you never read that he speaks to the Lord. He's talking to the Lord. He's interacting anything with the Lord. He's just kind of going about his own thing. And in the same way, with the Star Trek, the preview that we're saying, he has a gift, he has a calling, he has, but with this power and this great strength that he has, he has that pride issue, and he's not checking himself. He's not realigning himself with where he's supposed to be at. Chapter 16, verse 4. And after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we <coughs> will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies. And how you might be bound that one could subdue you. 
point, we often have this image of Samson being this really huge guy. And for me, growing up as a kid, one of my first two movies that I ever had, that my dad ever purchased for me, I can't recall which went in the order, but it was either American Tale, Bible, or Conan the Barbarian. It was one of those two. I know, kids' movies. I was, I was very young. But it was one of my favorite movies of all time, Conan the Barbarian. Every time I read or I hear about Samson, I think of Conan. And I, I, I believe I had a slide up there of Conan. You got it, John? There he is. See that? If somebody asks you where your great strength lies and he goes, boom, question's over. That's where his power's at. So I want us to rethink that a little bit because as you recall in that riddle that he gave to those Philistines, he said, if you guys can guess this riddle, I'll give you 30 pieces of clothing or you give me 30 pieces of clothing. And then they're asking him, hey, where's his great strength lying? If he's super strong, just find a way to attack him. But I think he was instead like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He probably looked like me because if I'm lifting up doors and if I'm just killing all kinds of dudes, you're going to be like, that doesn't make any sense that Jerome can do all of that. But if he looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, yeah, that guy's fully capable of doing all that. So maybe sometimes we might rethink that because we know that God uses the humbling things of this world to confound the wise. And so on the likewise, maybe Samson, I don't know. He could have been big and bulky, but maybe he might have just been looking like me, which makes no sense at all. <clears throat> but let's go ahead and continue. So we, verse 7 of 16. So Samson said to her, so she's asking him, tell me where your strength is. So Samson says, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Let's go to verse 10. So he breaks that. He ties the bowstrings around him. He busts that up. Verse 10. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson, and the men lying in ambush were in the inner chamber. But he snapped the ropes off of his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head, with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his that were on his head and wove them into the web, and she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. If you notice there, when he said the bowstrings, she bound him. I don't think that he was asleep. It didn't say that he was crashed out. He was obviously awake and this kind of tickled him. He's like, yeah, go ahead and tie it around me. So tied around him, he busted. Then he gets the rope, she tied around him. He's obviously conscious and he busted. Yeah, weave this into my hair. Have you guys seen a loom? I mean, it says a web, but a loom is a big, huge thing, almost like you kind of see them out on the Navajo reservations when they make those big rugs, but you weave the thing into it, but it's huge. So she takes his hair and she weaves it into it. Now it's starting to get weird. Yeah, the bowstrings was, okay, the rock or the rope was one thing, and now it's getting weird. There's such a parallel in that with our going into sin. Like Samson, he saw the thing, he saw the dead body. I don't know if I should go near it, but hey, he goes to it. Samson's like, yeah, tie these bowstrings around me. I'm completely conscious. I'm aware of what's going on. And then he gets weirder and weirder and weirder. I don't know if that's the word, weirder, but he gets more weird. If you guys ever look 
at the minds of when people study criminals who do just heinous acts. I mean, they're just mass murderers and do these vile acts in our society. Infamous criminals. The majority of them, they can trace back to pornography. These guys started in this one little thing. So some people will say, it's not that bad. It's not a big issue. It's just, I'm not hurting anybody with it. But it starts there. See, it started with one little drug and moved to another drug. I know people say that it's not possible to go ahead and jump from drug to drug to drug. But there are gateway drugs, just like there are gateway sins. It's so strange that that happens, that all these guys who are murderers, they all have that one thing in common that they started looking at things that they shouldn't have started. And you wonder how somebody could get so evil. Because we see the things that go on, like the, the, the man who just saved the women that were stuck in that house. You're thinking, how could somebody be so bad? But it had to start somewhere. And it began to progress. And it began to progress. And now it just gets odd and it gets weird. So I want you guys to be aware of that too, that to think, I can't get there. I could never be like that. Yes, you can. This past week I spent in San Antonio. It was not a vacation. I was on a mission trip, taking youth down there to help out with what is called Haven for Hope. It's a ministry that helps people who are on the streets, drug addicts, homeless people be able to get back on their feet again. And they got this great program going on. They, they, they bring them from the drug scene so that even when they're still using and they're on drugs and they're high, they can still find a place to go and get out of the weather. They can get something to eat. But then they begin to work them out of that to the point where now they're sober and they're, they have this housing complex that they live in and they're residents there. So now they, they have a school as well and a daycare. So these people have a place to live to call their own now. They get to go take their kids to, to be daycare and then they get free schooling so that they can learn a trade to be able to build better lives for themselves. A lot of the teenagers, and sometimes you look at that and you say, I don't see how people could be so bad. When you see these people sitting outside on the other side of the gate, shooting heroin in broad daylight next to the, start, uh, next to the railroad track, start track, next to the railroad track, and you think, how could somebody get to that point? Because I look at it, I'm like, man, there's no way I could be like that. But I guarantee you that they didn't get up as kids one day and just be like, you know what, I want to be a drug addict, I want to be sitting in my dirty clothes next to this railroad track when I get older. But something happened. Something was a catalyst that started to go from one spot to very bad. And so likewise, with Samson, he saw a woman at Timnah. She's pretty good. And then now, all of a sudden, he's in Gaza. He's hanging out there more often, and he's engaging in things he shouldn't be engaging in. A woman is obviously telling me, hey, where does your strength lie in so that I could bind you? starts off pretty simple, and then it gets weird. It gets more and more weird. So please, that's one area that I've really been praying about is, guys, let's not take lightly the sin issue because all it takes is one thing to help us to go, uh, to make us go on that path and, and to be standing in a line. And sometimes you get to talk to these people, these homeless people, and they're great people. They have good minds. They, they have loving hearts. They just struggle with an area that they can't. So I hope that doesn't become us as well. Starting verse 15. So he busts out of the, he pulls the pin out of the loom. He gets away from that. In verse 15, chapter 16. And she said to him, how can you say I love you? When your heart is not with me, you have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him and his soul was vexed to death. Sorry. Soul was vexed to death. 
Proverbs 27, 15 says, A nagging spouse is like the drip, drip, drip of a leaky faucet. So was the case with Samson. We saw that earlier with his first fiance. So he obviously cannot deal with that. So she, pre- she pressed him. He was vexed. Verse 17. And he told her with all his heart, and he said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her with all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought her, or brought the money in their hands. And she made him sleep on her knees. And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. And Matt always says, there are big butts in the Bible. Here's another one of them. Verse 22, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. I know you guys already see it in there, but look, the, the, one, the two things that were really, that he struggled with, looking and seeing things, and he couldn't deal with that, he couldn't cut it off from his life, eventually got gouged out. And the place that he was kind of playing with, Gaza, he was going there and he was messing around. Now he is taken there, and that's where he is grounding. He's grounding at the mill. He's like in Conan. He's pushing that stone around, and he's grinding But that's so awesome. But the hair of his head began to grow after it had been shaved. In the Old Testament, there's a lot of times that people say that the God of the Old Testament is not a loving God. He is not a kind God. He is very mean, and the God of the New Testament is very kind. It's like he had become this mean man, and he was young in his age and was really throwing around his power, and then now he became the grandpa, and he's real soft, and he doesn't say anything anymore. That's how people's mindset works. But like I said earlier, Israel had just came. They had a great conquest. They had all the lands allotted to them. And they did evil in the sight of God. But God said, I'm going to judge you guys. And then when he judged them, he is so kind that he sent people. He sent these judges. That's who these judges are, the book of Judges, who it's named after. They're individuals who God is sending their way to help them be delivered out of that problem of the Philistines. And then now we're going to start to see in verse 23 his consummation. Consummation of what? The finalization of his calling. Again, we saw his calling. He was called to be a Nazarite from the womb on. Then we saw his compromising, and his compromising led to his um, concession. And now we're seeing his consummation. This is the finalize of it all. And guys, this is such a beautiful picture of our own lives That just like the quote, there's greatness in you. There is greatness in all of us. Why? Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to do amazing things. The things that are in this Bible are not just for the Bible. We have the same spirit that was in and helping out Samson. It's in us today. But we don't believe that. I didn't have time to listen to Matt's sermon up until just yesterday. And I was like, wow. It was so God saying and moving in the same way that the pride of Tony Stark as Iron Man, he had this gift, he had this calling, he put on the suit. Yes, he put on the suit, but there was that pride still in him that got in his way and prevented him from fully being who he could have been until he realized it. Then we saw in the beginning of 
the preview, it says, there's greatness in you, but not an ounce of humility. Humility for what? Well, humility not to be comfortable. The children of Israel had this awesome gift to know God, to have God fight on their behalf. And like Captain Kirk, sometimes when you just have a gift, you feel like I don't have to put as much effort into it because I can just get away because I'm naturally talented. I'm naturally gifted. I hope that Paragon Church does not ever become that. That we don't get complacent that we saw God do this awesome thing one time and then we completely forget about it and we never fully tap into that power that God has for us. Listen to what Matt said in his message last week about how we are to go and we are to love people that don't love us back. We are to put ourselves out there to look like fools to the world. The love that we have should make the world go, that is nuts. But we don't do it. A question that I heard recently from a pastor was, what in your life requires faith? Right now, one thing, in, think about that just for a second. What one thing in your life requires faith? I mean, true, genuine, godly faith. Because if you have a good job, well, the money issue is kind of handled. My health is good. Don't really got to worry about that. Everything in the house works fine. If there's nothing in our lives that doesn't require true, genuine faith, are we missing our mark, guys? I feel sometimes that when I read Scripture, that we're missing so much. That the Holy Spirit has such an amazing power and wants to do amazing things through us and says, guys, I want you to go here and I want you to do this and I want you to move. And we go, God, open the door, close it. And he's like, it's open. And we're like, open two doors, God, because we just keep making little excuses. And even when we throw out fleeces, even when we say, God, if this happens, I will serve you. And then it happens, we go, lucky coincidence, I'm not going to do it. But if we would just really take all these things at heart and really listen to the Holy Spirit and humble ourselves, get back to where we need to be, realign ourselves with Scripture, The other day I was playing, well, a couple weeks ago, I was golfing, and I was having this great round, well, driving anyway, the rest of it was not so good, but I was driving, I mean, I was hitting this ball, and it was, it was like, ah, and I was even doing the pro twirl thing after I hit it, and then I made the turn, I got onto the 10th hole, and it was at Rodo del Oso, and then if you guys didn't know that course, the 10th hole is falling right alongside a road, so I get up. And I'm thinking, well, I'm just going to nail it like everything else has been nailed out there. And I hit it, and it goes out into the road, and I begin to pray. Because there are a bunch of cars going down this hot road. I'm like, oh, God, please, please, please do not let it hit anything. I will serve you with all my life. I'm like, wait, I already do that, so well, what else? Um, and it goes, and it misses the front of this car. Boom, hits, bounces over it, misses the back end of another car, bounces again, and there's another car going down the road, and it hits right in front of it, and then goes over and shoots over the fence and lands in the grass. Amen. I was like, oh, man, it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. But in this, like, why is there a golf story? Well, because in golf, your grip is everything. And I started to get confident. I'm not a good golfer by any means. I'm horrible. But I started to get comfortable and be like, oh, I got this thing together. And my grip started to do something funny, and it turns, and when that happens, I begin to pull stuff this way. There was an older man that I had had the opportunity to just give me a few little pointers in golf thing, in golf lessons. And he gave me this one thing. He said, when you start doing that, just let your hands hang down to your side, put the club in your hand, and grip it there bring it back to the middle and start doing that so that you realign yourself and you get out of that habit. 
See, it was the confidence in my life. It was the pride of going, I got this together. I am going to crush it like any other time. But my hands had already started to get overconfident and get comfortable. And they just started with a little bit. Probably started on the fourth hole, the fifth hole, the sixth hole. And it just began to get bad and bad and bad to the point where I was overconfident. And I had pride in my life, in the golf life. And I nearly took out three cars because of it. In your life, what is one little area or what is one thing that you do to realign yourself when you start getting proud and your grip starts slipping on life and it goes and it gets off just a little bit to the point where you begin to get off? Is it scripture? Is it prayer? Is it a person? I think the people, we in this church, I hope, guys, and I pray that we're not just coming here, gathering together as a group of believers, and then leaving, and then never even knowing anybody else's name, or feeling completely comfortable with one another. I pray so much that we would be such a strong family, that we would get together on, not on Sundays, and we would do other things outside of it, just so that we could build relationships to the point where we can... Like it said here, he didn't tell his mom and dad when he killed that lion. He didn't tell that he got honey out of them. He didn't tell them because he kind of felt like he was already doing something wrong. And that's one of the biggest areas where Satan will use that against us. Don't tell them. And sometimes we come into church and we think, man, I got so much junk on my back right now that I can't, I feel like I can't even walk. I just got this heavy weight on me. And I can't tell anybody how I really feel because everybody thinks that my life is good. Everybody thinks that things are all right. Nobody knows that I'm on the brink of an affair because I am talking to somebody and it's kind of getting stronger and stronger and stronger and I know that it's wrong and it's bad, but I can't fight it and I'm going to that place where I'm finally going to do something that I shouldn't do. I'm cheating in some area of life. I'm doing something bad. I know that it's wrong, but I can't stop it. And if I could just tell somebody they could hold me accountable, they would realign me. They would help my life get back to where it needs to be. Because, guys, Matt is right. We put on that Iron Man suit. We are Christians every day of the week. But if we are not holy like our God calls us to be holy, how do we expect the power of God to move in our lives? There's always a parallel between holy living and God speaking. If there is not holy living, God will not speak because God cannot communicate with sinfulness. In the same way, let's not leave this place having not dealt with something. I'm not saying you have to tell me anything. I'm not saying you have to tell anybody anything. But deal with it. Deal with an issue that is in your life that you are struggling with because if you leave here if you come into this place, you hear these good words, and you leave without doing anything about it, then you are the fool that Proverbs talks about. And if we are sinful people who don't confess our sins to God and cleanse ourselves, then how can God go with us? God calls children of Israel the Goy Kadosh, the holy nation. They're the holy people. They're holy. They're set apart. They're different are we different? I feel sometimes that in the church we get burnt out with church life because we don't see the power of God working. It would get so old to come here. If you were coming here and you were part of Paragon and you were not seeing God work in your life, you're not hearing God speak, then no wonder it gets old and it gets boring because to come here on Sunday morning, listen to words, hear some music, and then go could get old really fast. And if you're setting up and you're helping and you're serving, it could get really old if you're not seeing the power of God work. Because it's the power of God that makes the people look on in the world and say, what is going on at this place? It doesn't matter the building. It doesn't matter the chairs. It doesn't matter the music, any of the preaching, any of the cool things that we could put up here. It doesn't matter. If we're seeing God work, if God is healing people, if God is repairing relationships, if God is doing all the countless amazing things that he can do, and people in the world are seeing it, then that's when we've made our mark. But if we are not dealing with our sin issue, if we are too proud to say, 
that I'm struggling with something, then we will never get to that next level. And we will always just be standing at the River Jordan looking into the promised land and never fully grasping all the power that God has for us. Again, there's greatness in all of you because you have the Holy Spirit. For those of you who are believers in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. You have greatness in you. Use it. Use it. Verse 28. I'm sorry. Verse 23. In the book of San, or in the book of Judges, he gets captured. And now they're having a big ceremony. The Philistines are, and they're worshiping their god Dagon, who was half fish, half man. And they're like, hey, let's go get Samson. He'll entertain us. We'll have him do some crazy stuff for us, and we'll all laugh and we'll point. And so he does. They bring him in, and he's entertaining them however they choose for him to entertain. And I want you to notice in verse 28 of Judges, it says, Then then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, And please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines from my two eyes. This is the first time in 28 that we see him call out to the Lord. It's a crazy thought. And sometimes people have a really difficult time with it. But God sometimes allows awful things because he cares more about your soul than your body. He is willing, like the scripture says, it's better for you to enter into heaven maimed than altogether. And in this case, it took Samson having his eyes gouged out to finally say, oh Lord, this is the first time he really calls out to the Lord as Lord. Verse 28, then Samson called the Lord, I'm sorry, 29, and Samson grasped two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one and his left on the other side. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord, Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his life. Then his brothers and all the family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. And he had judged Israel 20 years. I want to finish with the challenge to you guys being you have a calling. For those of you who aren't believers in Jesus, there's a purpose for you in Jesus. Or for those of you who have made that decision to follow Jesus, you have a calling. And again, how sad is it to have this power available to you and you never fully tap into it? I want you to understand your calling and to be able to fully live it out without having to get to the point where your eyes, whatever it may be that's causing you to fail or causing you to compromise causing you to concede. I pray that it doesn't have to get to the point where you have to have those gouged out for you to finally call upon the Lord and say, okay, God, I'm finally going to do what it is that you want me to do. Because he, even in his death, fulfills his calling. Because in verse 7 of chapter 13, very back in the beginning, he says, he will be a Nazarite from the womb to his death. Please don't get to that point. Please don't let your calling get jumbled up in the middle. I'm so glad that God did not judge me in my time of rebellion to the point where I had to have something just completely obliterated in my life. Please don't let that happen, guys. Let's, if there's something that you're struggling with, again, let's, let's talk about it. If not me, somebody that you feel comfortable with, 
as a family, we are to share with each other our struggles. Let's do that, please, so that we can be a holy people and we can really fully live out our call of what God wants in our lives. I'm going to ask Henry if he would stand in the back. If there's somebody, or if there's something you need prayer with and you want somebody to pray with you, please go back and see Henry. He's got a great heart and he would love to pray with you if there's something that you're struggling with. Just you need to get off your chest. Guys, let's pray. God, such such an amazing thing that you love us. Such an amazing thing that you are willing to be so kind to us despite all of the junk that we get into in our own lives. We thank you for the calling on our lives, that you created every single one of us with a purpose in this life. Not one of us is an accident. We all have this thing that we are supposed to be doing for your glory. But God, in that calling, we can get comfortable, we can get complacent, and we can forget what it is that our mission truly is, and that's to honor and glory and glorify you and live holy lives. If we've missed that mark, please bring us back so that we can fully follow you with clear consciences, not because of anything that we do, but because Jesus has paid it all and we are confident that his blood is covering all of our sins. God, I pray for anyone here that is struggling with something. If there is somebody dealing with addiction of any kind or they're walking that fine line of doing something really bad, I pray, God, that you would work on their heart that you would let them know there, there are people here who love them and are willing to put their arms around them and show them the love of God. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for being a forgiving and a good God. We give you all praise and all glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.